I told you there was going to be a change this year to the show. I'm so excited about this new, refreshed focus for the show. We've been kind of tiptoeing along it for the past few months, talking about books that are solely focused on helping you build mental toughness, helping you build mental resiliency. And now I'm going full bore into that. We're still going to stick with the same type of format. We're going to talk to New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestselling authors. We're going to talk to psychologists. We're going to bring people on the show to help us understand these two aspects better. Again, to help us fight the demons that are taking over so many minds today. And we're going to start 2019 off on a high note because we're talking to Amy Morin today. If you don't know who Amy is... She's the New York Times bestselling author of the book, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. Take back your power, embrace change, face your fears, and train your brain for happiness and success. Talking to Amy was an absolute pleasure, and she has an incredible story to share. So I figured I'd kick off the interview by asking her to tell us a little bit more about her story. Sure. I'm a psychotherapist, and I started my career thinking I was going to teach other people how to become mentally strong based on what I'd learned in college. And shortly after I launched my career, I went through a series of losses in my personal life that made my interest in mental strength become much more personal. I lost my mother suddenly and unexpectedly to a brain aneurysm, and then it was three years to the day, in fact, that my 26-year-old husband died of a heart attack. And going through those losses and my own experiences with grief, it really made me want to know why do some people uh, become mentally stronger than others? How come some people came into my therapy office and they felt like they were stuck? They'd encountered certain challenges or obstacles, and it sort of reduced them. They weren't able to, to live a happy, fulfilling life. But I saw other people who, despite whatever they'd gone through, they were still optimistic, they were energetic. They were ready to, to take on whatever challenges came their way. They just needed a little bit of guidance on how to do it. But they got better faster, and they were able to turn their struggles into strength. Hmm. And as I studied the differences between these people, I realized it wasn't always about what they did. Sometimes it was more about what they didn't do. Hmm. And I realized if I, as a therapist, I was trained, you're supposed to teach people how to build on their strengths, point out what they're doing well, and tell them to keep doing more of that. But at some point I realized I'm doing somebody a disservice if I don't point out the bad habits that are keeping them stuck. And I say it's like this. If I were to go to a physical trainer and say, how do I become physically strong? And the trainer said, you should run on the treadmill and lift weights. Mm -hmm. Well, that would be great. But what if they didn't tell me to quit eating so much junk food? Mm -hmm. Then a lot of my good habits aren't going to be that effective. And so I realized that it's just really important sometimes just cut out your worst habit or two and suddenly all your good habits become much more effective in life. And so that was the, the mindset that I had at that point was really about in my personal life, cutting out my worst habits and about helping people in my therapy office identify the habits that were keeping them stuck. Mm. And uh, a couple of years after that, I had gone through um, – Another major change in my life, my father-in-law was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I remember thinking, this isn't fair. How come I have to keep losing more loved ones? And why do I have to go through grief all over again? I don't want to do this. But I remembered that that wasn't what mentally strong people do, that feeling sorry for myself was one of those bad habits that would keep me stuck. So I wrote a letter to myself 
about mental strength. And when I was done, I had a list of 13 things that mentally strong people don't do. And I decided, well, you know, if this list is helpful to me, maybe it would help somebody else. So I published it online, stepped away from my computer, and hoped it would resonate with a few people. Didn't imagine what would happen next, but it went viral. 50 million people read that article. And before I know it, a literary agent is calling and saying, you should write a book. And so it changed the course of my life, and I sort of became an accidental author. And But since then, I've gone on to, to write just finished my third book. Mm-hmm. Now I get to travel, travel the world and speak about mental strength. What a crazy story. Absolutely inspiring. She faced so much hardship, so much tragedy in her life, and yet she was able to bounce back. She demonstrated mental toughness, resiliency. And I know her story isn't unlike many of your stories. I'm sure you have a story that might be similar, maybe even worse than hers. Regardless, she was able to essentially rise from the ashes and not just be succumbed by her fears, be succumbed by the sadness in her life. Instead, she bounced back from it. And that's what I want for all of you, to learn what Amy did, or maybe what she didn't do. And so at the very end there, she talked about mental strength. So before we got into the interview, I had to understand what mental strength was to her and also what it's not. Well, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions. I think people confuse being strong with acting tough. And when people are acting tough, they're saying nothing hurts me. Failure is not an option. I don't have any pain or problems in my life. I don't need any help. All of those things are about acting tough. Being strong is the opposite. It can be about acknowledging your emotions, about knowing, okay, I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm upset, but knowing how to deal with it so that you're not stuck. You don't necessarily, just because you wake up on the wrong side of the bed, you don't have to stay there. So a big part of mental strength is controlling your emotions and knowing how to manage them and take care of them. Another part is about your thinking, about knowing that your thoughts aren't always realistic, that they're not always rational, but that you don't always have to believe everything that you think as well. So sometimes it's about thinking positively, but not necessarily overly optimistic. Thinking, being overconfident can be just as harmful as being not confident enough. So it's about just developing a more realistic mindset and recognizing how to reframe your thoughts when they're not helpful. And the third part is about your behavior. It's about taking positive action in your life so that even when you encounter hardship or you run into big problems, sometimes you can't fix the problem. You can't change somebody's health issues necessarily, but you can at least still take some sort of positive action to make your life or somebody else's life better. Mm-hmm. So when you combine those three things, you have somebody who can deal with problems more efficiently. You can rebound. You can turn your struggles into strength. You can overcome a lot of obstacles and really reach your greatest potential in life and be brave enough to live according to your values. I'm glad that we took a minute just to understand what mental strength truly is, because I think there is a lot of confusion around that. So I'm glad that she clarified that for us. Go back and listen to that again, just so that you know the distinction between being tough and what mental strength truly is about. But now let's kick into it because we got 13 golden nuggets to kick into here. And the very first one of 13, again, 13 things mentally strong people don't do. Number one, mentally strong people, they don't spend time feeling sorry for themselves. So this one is really about recognizing when you get caught in that trap of self-pity, when you're hosting a pity party for yourself. And self-pity is different from than just feeling sad. 
something you encounter hardship, somebody's dealing with tragedy, you should feel sad. And feeling sad is part of the, the healing process. But self-pity is different. It's when you start to magnify your problems, when you start to think that there are no possible solutions, that there's nothing you or anybody else can do, and you start to become sort of helpless and hopeless. Mm-hmm. When you get stuck in that trap, it keeps you from, from taking any kind of action to make your life better. So it's important to recognize, all right, am I sad? Am I appropriately upset about something? Or am I falling into the self-pity trap? And if you're feeling sorry for yourself, one of the best things you can do is just get up and take some sort of action. And it might be that you decide, I'm going to help somebody else. I'm going to do something productive today. I'm going to make my life at least a little bit better. And when you take that action, it just proves to yourself, okay, I do have some some power. I do have some control. There are some things I, I can change to sort of prove your brain wrong because your brain will try to convince you that there's nothing you or anybody else can do to make your life better. Mm-hmm. And I've met people, you know, that come into my therapy office and say, I just, I couldn't do anything because I have this problem in life. And they've just sort of stagnated for a long, long time because they thought because of whatever the obstacle was that they had in their life, that they just couldn't go around it. They couldn't do anything about it. And sometimes really simple solutions like gratitude. I think gratitude is one of the most underutilized superpowers mm-hmm. And it could be as simple as writing in a gratitude journal. If you write down three things that you're grateful for before you go to bed, studies show you sleep better, you get better quality sleep, you're happier, you're, you'll be healthier. People who practice gratitude live longer. Mm. And it's one of those things. It could take 60 seconds or less of your life. And if you're not somebody who's going to write things down, figure out, well, what's a different kind of gratitude ritual? Maybe when you sit down for dinner with your family, you all go around and identify what you're grateful for today. Or maybe when you wake up in the morning on your drive to school, when you're dropping the kids off, you all talk about something that you're grateful for. And just incorporating those little things in your life that only take a minute or less can make a big difference on how you feel and how you perform. That's exactly right. Things that only take a minute or two out of your day can have such a dramatic impact on your life. How many times have I mentioned gratitude on the show? I've mentioned gratitude all the time, and yet so many of you do not use this tool to your advantage. We're talking about building mental toughness. If we're talking about building resiliency, then you have to make gratitude a part of your daily routine. Wake up in the morning. Put like a board or a piece of paper, something by the bathroom where you brush your teeth and just write down something you're grateful for first thing in the morning. And don't leave the bathroom until you come up with something you're grateful for. And when you come home, you have dinner, you watch a little bit of TV, whatever, you do a little bit of work, you go back up to bed, you brush your teeth before you go to bed and you see that there and you remind yourself what you're grateful for. And then before you go to bed, I want you to write one more thing down that you're grateful for. That simple routine can have such a tremendous impact on your life. Because again, think about the compounding effect. As you continue to do this day after day after day, you're gonna realize, oh my God, I have so much to be grateful for. At the end of the month, you're gonna have this massive list of 60 things on there that you're grateful for. And that will start to change your mind from being somebody who maybe looks at life a little bit more lackluster to maybe saying, wow, I have a lot to be grateful for in life. It's a great tool and if you're not using it, you have to start. In any case, let's get into golden nugget number two now. Golden nugget number two out of the 13 things mentally strong people don't do. Mentally strong people, they don't give away their power. So what does she mean by that? Giving away your power. So it's about uh, being in control of how you think 
feel, and behave. And out of all the chapters in the book, this is the one people always want to talk about. It's the one I've gotten the most feedback about. When I speak about it, people come up to me afterward, and they always talk about this one. Because it's one of those things that people realize, okay, I've been giving my power to somebody else in my life. Maybe it's your mother-in-law. Maybe you have a mother-in-law who gets under your skin and can ruin your day. Maybe she says comments that just sort of annoy you or cause you to feel bad about yourself. Or maybe you have a boss who's critical of you and it, and it also ruins your day or it makes you think you're not as good as, as you thought you were. And those are the sorts of things in life that it's really easy to let somebody be to control how you think. Maybe you start thinking, I'm not, I'm not a good person or I am incompetent. Maybe you start to feel bad. You start feeling sad. You're upset. You're angry. Uh, you start dreading seeing somebody. It takes up a lot of your time because you're maybe it's a 20-minute appointment with somebody, but you spend three hours dreading it. Well, that one person just took up a whole bunch of your time. Or maybe you give somebody control over your behavior because you start avoiding certain things because you don't want to see that person. Or you decide, okay, I'm not going to apply for that promotion because um, that person said I couldn't do it or doubted me. Lots of ways ways we give away our power and sometimes you can just tell from the language that we use when you say i have to do something you're giving someone or something power over your life so for example if you say my my boss makes me work late my boss doesn't force you to work late there's not a gun to your head saying you have to work late so sometimes taking back your power power is just recognizing okay There'd be consequences if I don't work late, but that's okay. I'm still choosing to do it because as an adult, you get choices over how you spend your time, who you spend it with, and just reframing your language sometimes can be one of the simplest but most effective ways to take back your power. When you find yourself blaming somebody else for making you feel bad, remind yourself nobody's forcing you to feel bad, that it's up to you. They can't do it unless you allow them to do it. This idea of giving away your power to somebody, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's a consultant that was brought into the organization that isn't a cultural fit, maybe it's one of your colleagues, maybe it's a member of your family, maybe it's one of your friends or somebody in your peer group, whatever it is, if you're giving away your power to someone, that means that you are allowing that person to control how you feel, how you act, how you think, how you behave. And one of the hardest things to do is not allow somebody to take your power away from you. But it's hard. It's hard to, number one, understand, and it's hard to get control of. I know because I've been there and I will continue to be there. But again, it's one of those things that you have to think about. You have to be aware of it. And just by being aware of it, it'll allow you to think about it a little bit more in detail and say, hold on a second. I'm going to take myself out of the situation and realize that this person is taking my power away from me. How can I get my power back? That's what I want you to focus on, taking your power back and not giving your power to somebody else who doesn't care about you. So now let's get into golden nugget number three. And golden nugget number three, I love this one. Mentally strong people, they don't shy away from change. And if there's one thing, one thing that I do very well, it's that I'm okay embracing change. I love change. Obviously, you know, I've changed the show so many times and I'm not really afraid of change. I want to go in the direction that I believe is right. And that's something that mentally strong people are very comfortable with. I've had so many people come into my therapy office and acknowledge things are really bad right now, but at least they're predictable. Or what if I make a change and I make things worse? And because of that, they stay stuck. 
And it's really has a lot to do with the fear, fear of the unknown. Of course, there's no guarantee that a change will be easy or that it will improve your life. But the one surefire way to make sure that your life doesn't get any better is to keep doing exactly what you're doing right now. And so for people to just recognize that success often depends on your ability to adapt. The world is changing whether you want it to or not. But it's that fear that we can't change or the fear that we're not going to, to be good enough if we start making changes or the fear of, of that we're going to fail or that we're going to be uncomfortable. It causes us to, to stay stuck and it's easy to start putting more energy then into trying to stay the same than it would take to actually go, go ahead and change. So whether that means making a, a change to your uh, daily routine, you decide I'm going to start getting up earlier, maybe you say I'm going to incorporate more healthy habits in my life, like going to the gym or eating healthier, or maybe you decide it's a financial issue that you finally want to tackle that you're ready to address. I'm going to pay off my debt. I'm going to save up for a vacation I've always wanted to go on. Whatever it is, it's hard to make those changes, but when you start making them you realize that being uncomfortable isn't as scary as you thought that you can handle it and you become much more confident in your ability to to handle change mentally strong people they don't shy away from change and i think it's really important for us to learn to embrace change and it's easy for us to say yeah i'm okay with comfortable with change but are you really are you really comfortable with change how comfortable are you changing up your habit So instead of going to work and coming home right afterwards and having dinner, how comfortable are you with going to the gym? How comfortable are you going to a networking meeting, starting a Toastmasters class, taking meetings, making cold calls? It's easier to say it than it is to do it. And I know because I coach so many of you. And I tell you, go out there, make your cold calls. Go out there, place the emails, book the meetings, go to the Toastmasters courses, go and do public speaking. And it's so much easier to say than it is to do it. But here's the key. The moment that you start to change and you start to get into it, all of a sudden your mind says, all that stuff that I was scared of, it's not that scary anymore because all that fear is just smoke and mirrors in your head. So again, beat that demon of fear by going in and changing in spite of it. That's the key. So now let's get into golden nugget number four. And golden nugget number four is mentally strong people, they don't focus on what they can't control. There's so many things in life when you really think about it that you can't control. You can't control the weather. You can't control how other people behave. You can't control, even if you're applying for a new a new job, you can't control whether or not you get hired. The only thing you can control is your behavior, how much effort you put in, what kind of an attitude you have. But I think sometimes we're uncomfortable with knowing that certain things are out of our control. So we try to just control everything or we worry so much about the what ifs. And suddenly you're putting all of this mental energy and effort into something that you can't control and it actually decreases your chances of success because what if you put all your effort and energy into that little area of things that you can control? You become much more effective. That's right. So I think sometimes when we um, are upset by somebody else's behavior, our first reaction is how do I control that person? How do I make them not do that anymore? But when we do that, it's really because we – feel like we can't control our own emotions. So when I'm upset, rather than control my feelings, I try to control you. And so when you take back your power and just recognize, no, I can influence other people, sure. But you can inspire them to become mentally stronger. You can show them the strategies that work for you, but it's not up to you to control the other person. Other part about just accepting sometimes that you can't control certain things can go a long way. 
when uh, we do anger management classes, for example, acceptance is huge uh, in managing your emotions. So if somebody is stuck in a traffic jam, rather than thinking, this shouldn't happen to me, this isn't fair, I always get stuck in traffic jams, those sorts of thoughts fuel your anger. But if when you look at the flip side of it, what are the facts about this? Well, there's millions of cars on the road, sometimes there's traffic jams, and I just happen to be stuck in one. And when you can just really look at the facts and quit making so many judgments and drawing all these conclusions and thinking that somehow the world's unfair or out to get you, you can get a better handle on just accepting, okay, this isn't what I wanted, but this is what it is. And you don't have to like it, but to accept reality, to just say, here I am in this situation right in this moment, what can I do about it? And sometimes it's just about controlling your attitude and the way that you're thinking about it. Mentally strong people don't focus on things they can't control. And that's so important. And the moment that I realized that, I thought about Covey's principle, where he talks about the circle of concern and the circle of influence. The circle of concern, those are those things that we take in, information, news, for example, thinking about politics, thinking about certain social issues, things that we don't necessarily have any influence over. We potentially can, But that's going to definitely take us outside of our comfort zone, outside of our routine, outside of things that we would normally do. But yet we take that information in, right? Natural disaster. Oh, let me hear about that. Or this is what's going on in politics in the United States, which, again, I have no influence over. Things that can stress you out, things that worry you. And if you don't have any influence over it, you have no control. So Covey's principle is focus all your attention on your circle of influence, the things that you can control. Your family, your friends, your income, your job, your hobbies, your health, your mental health, all those things you can control. That's what mentally strong people do. They focus most of their attention on their circle of influence and not on their circle of concern. Such an important takeaway. So now we go to golden nugget number five. Mentally strong people, they don't focus on pleasing everybody. I see so many people in my therapy office who will say... I don't want people to think I'm selfish or I really want to be a nice person. But then what they don't realize is that slowly over the course of of a number of years, they've started to lose sight of their values. They forget what's important to them. Sometimes they don't even recognize their own opinions anymore because they're so used to just saying yes or trying to mold themselves into what they think other people want. And we're seeing a lot of this with social media, that for people who are people pleasers, it can be really scary to be on social media because suddenly you have your friends from high school mixed in with your current colleagues, mixed in with family members, and you're thinking, well, who am I? What what can I post? Because my grandmother knows me as one person, but my friends know me as a completely different person. That's right. And it causes this sort of crisis. And that's not to say you shouldn't maybe use slightly different language when you're talking to your grandmother as your friends. But for certain people who are so used to just always molding themselves to be like a chameleon and fit in with everyone around them, it becomes this sort of identity crisis of who, how do I present myself to these people? So I think it's important to recognize how, how, in what ways in your life do you try to please people? Are you trying to make people happy? Just like nobody is in control of how you feel, you're not in control of how other people feel. It's not your job to try to make people happy. And that if yes has become your default answer, you might need to take a break sometimes and say, when somebody asks a favor of you, to just be able to say, I'll get back to you about that. So you at least yep. have a minute to think <laughs> about whether or not you actually want to agree to something. 
I think out of all of them, the, I hear from a lot of recovering people pleasers who say, I feel so much freer. And all this time oh, I yeah. spent trying to make other people happy, I I just felt like uh, I wasn't doing a good enough job anyway because people weren't happy, but also I was I had no idea who I was, who mm -hmm. I wanted to be, or what I wanted my life to be like. And suddenly I feel free, and I realize that when I say no to people, it's not nearly as tough or as bad as I imagined. This idea that mentally strong people don't worry about pleasing everybody is so important. And you got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You have to be comfortable with saying no. Because it sucks always having to do things or feel like you should be doing things for other people because you want to be liked. You want them to like you. You want them to love you. And so you're going to do things that you don't necessarily want to do. Get comfortable with saying no. Get comfortable with rejection. Again, let's come back to business. I know so many of you have to do business development. You have to ask people for business that you're scared to ask because you're scared of rejection. You know, instead you'll take on tasks, you'll take on jobs that people give you, but you don't really want to do it, but you also don't want to make them feel bad. So you say, sure, why not? Two things there. You got to get comfortable with saying no, and you got to get comfortable with rejection. So start saying no. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard, but you got to start. And the second thing, <laughs> this is actually a funny exercise, but just do it. Amuse me. Next time you go to Starbucks or whatever, you go get a meal somewhere at a fast food restaurant, finish your meal, finish your drink, go back up to the front with your empty stuff and say, I wanted my free refill now. <laughs> I want my free refill now. Just see what they say. They're going to reject you. They're going to say, no, get the hell out of here. Well, it's funny. They have no problem saying no, but they're going to reject you. And I want you to get comfortable with rejection because in the end, that's fear. That isn't really real. It's just smoke and mirrors, shadows, demons that we really don't have to be scared about at all. I want you to give that a try. Amuse me. Even record it when you do it and send that to me. I want to see this. <laughs> All right, let's move on to golden nugget number six. Mentally strong people don't shy away from taking calculated risks. So uh, the truth is most of us don't really know how to calculate a lot of the risks in our life. So whether it's a social risk like asking somebody out on a date, asking your neighbor to go out for coffee with you, asking a friend to come over for dinner, or it's a financial risk, like I'm going to take my money and, and buy a, a property, or some sort of a business risk. There's risks, tons of risks in life. There's always some sort of uh, a payoff uh, or a cost to whatever it is that we do. You start therapy, well, it's going to take up your time. It's going to cost you some money probably, and it's going to be painful or difficult, but so often we think about risks in terms of our emotions only. We think if something feels scary, it must be really risky, so we don't do it. And so public speaking is one of those things. For most people, public speaking is terrifying. And I definitely used to be one of those people that thought there's no way I'm ever going to stand on a, on a stage, let alone in front of five people and speak, because it felt too scary to do it. But then when you really think about it, you think, well, public speaking isn't actually all that risky. The worst thing that could happen, somebody falls asleep in the audience or people <laughs> tell you you did a bad job. But it's not it's not like life or death. You know, the real risk was is driving to the speaking engagement where I could actually die in a car accident mm -hmm. or, but, you know, so often we just get comfortable with the risks that we're taking. So we don't even recognize them as risky because they don't feel scary. Like driving in a car right. for most of us doesn't feel scary, mm -hmm. but 
but when it comes to like again a lot of social risks these days i'm seeing so many people who are are terrified and i think it has to do with social media we get so used to texting that people are scared to make a phone call mm-hmm. or we get so used to to talking to people on messenger that we then are afraid to actually ask them to do something with us face to face like that neighbor right. well what if the neighbor doesn't like me as much as i like them and i invite them for coffee and they're uncomfortable or they don't want to come over and so many people that end up overthinking those sorts of things and they just get stuck because something feels like it's a big risk. But when you really take a step back and you think, well, is this actually risky? What's the worst that could happen? And if it did happen, how bad would that be? Let's say you get rejected or you stand up to give a talk, you're nervous, you're shaking, and it doesn't go well. Well, it's not the end of the world. That's right. All right, so let's talk about risk for a second here. Mentally strong people, we know that they don't shy away from taking calculated risks. But it's this idea that if it feels scary, and again, we're thinking about our emotions here, and if it feels scary, if it feels dangerous, then it must be dangerous. It must be something I got to avoid. There's got to be a lot of risk in here, so I'm not going to do it. If you base everything off of how you feel, you're going to be wrong in most cases, right? This speaking engagement, too scary, not going to do it, must be dangerous, must be risky, going to step away, not do it. But do you realize what happens when you do that? When you live by your basic emotions, now you have to short circuit that. You have to go and act in spite of fear. And I know that that sounds so cliche and so just whatever. Everyone always says that, but it's so true. How often are you letting this demon of fear control you? That speaking engagement you're running from could be the next big thing for your career. You can meet a great partner there, a great new client, friends, family members. It doesn't matter. You could find a great piece of information there through another speaking engagement from somebody in the audience. That could turn your whole entire life around. To me, it seems more risky not to do it. So get the hell out there. Beat up that demon of fear and act in spite of it. So now let's go to golden nugget number seven. Mentally strong people, they don't dwell on the past. I think so many people think that somehow by rehashing something that already happened, that they'll uh, be able to to almost go back in time and fix it. And I don't deny reflecting on the past and learning from it is really important. But ruminating and getting stuck there isn't helpful. And so, as you say, a lot of people, when they're dwelling on the past, whether it's a hurt relationship or somebody made a huge mistake or somebody hurt you, Mm -hmm. and you just keep dwelling on it and rehashing all the terrible things that happened and how horrible you felt about it, it it doesn't do you any good. It ruins the moment. You're not able to enjoy the present. You can't plan for the future. And But I think for a lot of people, there's a sense of uh, maybe I don't deserve to be happy because I messed up, so they dwell on the past. Or uh, sometimes it's about being scared to go forward. I know in my personal life, after my losses, it was sort of like if I stayed in the past that somehow I wouldn't I wouldn't forget my my loved ones because that was where they lived was in the past and they weren't with me in the present. And so it was painful. And part of the healing process and the grief process was being able to move forward to say, how do I still enjoy the present, even though my loved ones aren't here with me? And it's a tough thing to do. It's hard to to let go of the past, um, but to figure out how do I learn from it without staying stuck there? How do I not continue to wound myself by thinking about it and remembering how terrible I felt? Or uh, for some people, it's about happy memories too. I'll see a lot of people who say, you know, my life was good back then. And maybe it was when their kids still lived at home or maybe when they were in a better relationship or 
Um, sometimes people think college was the best time of their mm. life, and so they stay stuck in what they think were the happiest times. But when they do that, they also then can't make their future as good as it could be. They can't go out and create new happy memories. So I think it's just really important to notice when you're doing that and then to to make figure out, well, what do I need to do to make peace with the past? And for sometimes, sometimes that's a little bit different for everybody. Sometimes it's about forgiving yourself or it might be about forgiving someone else. It might be um, coming to terms with some misconceptions you have about the past or about how to heal from grief, those sorts of things. But you have to give yourself permission to move forward. Well, I think that sometimes when it comes to uh, our past, there's some sort of a story that we that we come up with that we think is true. Mm. And we uh, really romanticize the past or we somehow think that our past you know, holds secrets to, mm. to be unlocked. Um, and we come up with all sorts of stories about the past. Sometimes you just have to change that story that you – that you tell yourself to be able to think, how do I, how do I come to terms with what happened in a factual way without dwelling on all of the emotions? How do I remember the, how do I make sense of it? But at the same time, I see so many people who try to make sense of the past in a way that it, that it keeps them stuck. They keep dwelling right. on it. They keep looking for thinking that there are more clues to be unlocked, something like that. And so I think it's really about changing the story sometimes. Sometimes it's about focusing on the lessons that you learned and then giving yourself permission to, to just go ahead and move forward. This idea that mentally strong people don't dwell on the past, it's so important. Because I know it's natural. When bad stuff happens to you in the past, you feel anxious about it. Something was sad, something depressed you. It was a tough time and so you constantly go back and you think about it. And I don't know why we do that as human beings. I'm not sure why we continue to do that. We continue to hurt ourselves. We continue to put ourselves back into a place where we were so incredibly sad, depressed, anxious, fearful. And all we're doing is we're feeding those demons. We're feeding those demons and we're giving complete control of our mind over to them. We need to stop. We need to short circuit that part of our brain and tell ourselves that whatever happened in the past, it was there to set us up for something greater in the future. Doesn't matter if you lost your job. Doesn't matter if somebody screwed you over, cheated on you. Uh, you know, doesn't matter if someone passed away in your life. You lost a loved one, a friend, a family member. Doesn't matter. No matter how tough it is, you can't continue to put yourself back in that negative state of mind and feed those demons. It doesn't serve you. And I know it's easier said than done, but what other option do you have? You have to move forward. Make progress on your life. Don't feed those demons. Look at it as a setup, not a setback. You got to do your best. So I love that takeaway. Absolutely love that takeaway. So important for us to remember. So now we move on to golden nugget number eight. And golden nugget number eight says that mentally strong people, they don't make the same mistakes over and over again. Well, I think probably all of us have at least once in our lives said, I'm never going to do that again, whether we're <laughs> referring to a relationship or uh, drinking too much or eating too much or... But then, you know, before you know it, you find yourself doing that exact same thing over again, um, because sometimes we just never take time to figure out why we messed up or what went wrong. We just remember, OK, that felt bad. But then a little while later, we forget that it felt bad. And so we just reach for that unhealthy coping skill or we try to uh, do something again that uh, will make us feel better in the moment, but then hurts us more in the long term. Mm -hmm. So I think it's so important when you mess up to just recognize, well, why did I mess up? How do I do something differently next time? What can I learn from this? What could I have done better? 
and then create a plan so that moving forward you can do better and to um really just practice self-discipline to know okay how do i uh how do i teach myself to to not do that again and self-discipline is something that we can all learn you can practice mm-hmm. we can get better at but you have to put in the concerted effort and uh whether it's with a, a weight loss goal that you have some sort of financial goal a social goal whatever it is to know that self-discipline isn't something you either have or you don't it's something that you can learn and you can become better at but you have to be able to be willing to learn from your mistakes when you make them if you truly want to get better there's so much about you know when you when you mess up you just gotta jump right back on the horse and try it again but i think sometimes we're too quick to jump right back into it you just gotta take a few minutes sometimes to come up with a plan of okay what did i learn and how am i going to do things better next time Why do mentally strong people not make the same mistakes over and over again? Mentally strong people make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. If you're on this planet and you're breathing, you're going to make a mistake. But people who are more mentally strong make less mistakes. Why is that? Because they pause. They pause. They contemplate. They ponder. And when they ponder, they ask themselves questions. Why did I mess up? How can I do this differently? And what can I do moving forward to avoid this mistake again? Those three questions are so important. And far too often we make a mistake. We just jump back on the horse and we say, well, I made a mistake. I'm going to just get back right into it. And I get that. And I respect that. But what you need to do is you need to sit back and you need to ponder a little bit and make sure that you're doing your due diligence to ensure that you're staying away from making that same mistake over and over again. I've been there. I've made the same mistake over and over again, far too many times because I've never sat back and asked myself those three questions. Start by asking yourself those three questions, and I guarantee you, you'll make less mistakes. All right, let's move on to golden nugget number nine. And golden nugget number nine says that mentally strong people, they don't resent other people's success. It is a big one. And I think, again, this is another one that in today's age of social media right. is much more <laughs> difficult to do because you look on social media and everybody suddenly looks like they're really happy that their families are mm-hmm. perfect. They're earning tons of money and yet still enjoying plenty of leisure time. And it just gets so easy to fall into the trap of thinking other people's lives are better than yours. And studies will show that. There's a study I talk about in my TEDx talk about how we have found that envying people on Facebook is directly linked to depression. Hmm. But studies have also found that Instagram is even worse for your mental health because you're looking at images, just pictures. And then we draw our own conclusions about how happy people are. But even outside of social media, even people who don't use social media, we live in this world of overabundance and you see somebody driving a car that's nicer than yours or they live in a house that's better than yours and it can make you feel insecure. Mm -hmm. And you start to think about, well, why don't I have that? Or how come that person's better than I am? And it can easily lead you down the path toward becoming resentful. Mm -hmm. And it's so important to catch it when that happens and to avoid comparing yourself to other people and to create your own definition of success mm-hmm. to say, okay, well, what, what would it take for me to succeed in life? What do I, I view as success when I'm a hundred years old, looking back on my life, what would make me think that I, that I did a job well done. Mm-hmm. And when you know, when you're really confident in what your definition of success is and you're on your own journey, you'll be less worried about what other people are yeah. doing, whether they're ahead of you or behind you or where they are, because they're not running the same race that you are. I think one of the biggest reasons why mentally strong people don't resent other people's success is because they know where they're going in life. And so they kind of have their blinders on. They're not necessarily focused on what everyone else is doing. and They don't necessarily care what everybody else is doing. 
because it doesn't matter. All they care about is their own journey, their, their, their whole circle of influence, right? We've talked about this before because they focus on their own path. They focus on their own goals. They focus on the things they can influence. They don't really worry about what everyone else is doing. And so this whole idea of scrolling through Instagram or scrolling through Facebook and showing that there's stats that your depression levels actually increase and sadness levels increase when you spend more time on Instagram and you spend time on Facebook and you start to compare yourselves to other people's lives. Listen, I'll tell you this right now. If you haven't figured it out, everybody's lives look so much better on Instagram and Facebook than they do in real life. That's just the reality of it. So stop comparing yourself. Set a goal for yourself. Know where you're going in life. And focus solely on that. That'll keep your mind right. So now let's get into golden nugget number 10. Mentally strong people, they don't give up after their first failure. Well, you know, obviously failure doesn't feel good. It's embarrassing. It's disappointing. We feel sad about it. And it can even change the way that we start to feel about ourselves. And rather than looking at failure as something that's part of the process to success, we start to think, I'm a failure. I'm bad. I can't succeed. And when we do that, we're much less likely to, to get up and try again when we fail. So it's so important to to just recognize, all right, when you fail at something, what can you learn from it? How do you take it and turn it into an opportunity to become stronger and to grow better? And But I run into a lot of people who think failure isn't an option or people like me don't don't fail or they doubt their ability to handle failure. And because of that, sometimes then they don't try new things because they're afraid if I put myself out there, I might fail. And they end up living a really small life. And so it's just sort of a difference in perspective of knowing that failure is not the end of the world. You can try things where you aren't going to be good, especially in the beginning, but you can sharpen your skills. You can learn how to, how to get better, but often you have to fail over and over again in order to become better. That's right. And sometimes just knowing that by itself really helps you deal with failure. How many times have we heard stories of, of Oprah Winfrey, The Beatles, Michael Jordan, Albert Einstein, Thomas Edison, Walt Disney, all these greats who accomplished amazing things in our world. How many times did they fail, get cut from the basketball team, told they weren't ever going to have a best-selling album, told they weren't good enough for TV, you know, told they were too stupid, you know, and they just continued to persist despite failing. Those are the people who, who make way in this world. And again, go back to our last point here, the last golden nugget. Those people knew what path they were on, and it didn't matter what failures hit them because they knew where they were going in life, and they were going to hit that no matter what. So sometimes you just got to find other inspiration from other people to be like, you know what? I failed. Yeah. What's the lesson from that? Let me take that lesson and let me move forward because now I'm smarter because of it because I tried something. Didn't work. It's okay. Let me move forward again. So I truly love this takeaway. So important for us today. And I think sometimes even little failures or things that people view as failure can just become such huge stumbling blocks. Mm. So for example, I'm working with this entrepreneur who's like, okay, I'm going to launch my uh, my blog and my website and suddenly he's not getting any traffic he's mm-hmm. so he's like I'm, I'm bad at social media I wasn't <laughs> meant to cut out to have the online portion of my business right. and so it was about no no this is just an experiment you know <laughs> you got to keep trying you got to figure out what works for you but right. I think it's so easy sometimes to just draw those conclusions of I wasn't meant to, to do this That's when right. we fail the first time you know I find it very interesting that mentally strong people, are more comfortable with failure than people who aren't as mentally strong. And I honestly think the reason for that is just because they're perhaps more comfortable with failure because they fail more often. 
If you fail more often, you realize that failure isn't all that dangerous. It's not all that harmful to you. And in fact, it's actually a positive thing because you learn so much from your failures. So the big takeaway for you here is don't be scared of failure. Don't let that demon of fear beat you. Right? Take that demon out. Ignore that demon. Battle that demon and do things in spite of fear. Again, we've talked about this so many times before. But the more you fail, the less fearful of it you'll be. That's the big takeaway. So now we move on to golden nugget number 11. We're in the final stretch now. And golden nugget number 11 says that mentally strong people, they don't fear time alone. That's an interesting one. Let's give this one a listen. So this one, I'll run into a lot of people who will say, well, I love my alone time. And then I'll say, well, what do you do when you're alone? And they'll say, you know, I'm using social media. I'm watching TV. (laughs) I listen to the radio. And so, but that's not exactly what I mean. When I'm talking about alone time, I'm talking about being alone with your thoughts, which for a lot of people is terrifying in today's world. In fact, there's a study where they asked people, would you rather sit quietly and meditate for 15 minutes or submit yourself to an electric shock. And (laughs) when it came to the men, uh, well, first, when it came to the women, about 25% of the women opted for the electric shock. Hmm. And so then they asked the men, well, almost 75% of the men opted for the electric shock over being alone with their thoughts. And I think that speaks volumes about the world that we live in, that for your in today's world especially, you don't ever have to be alone with your thoughts. You can sleep with the TV on. You can always have the radio on in the car. You can have earbuds in your ears when you're shopping in the grocery store even. And, uh, you know, and so but we live in this strange world where so many people are constantly connected to some kind of noise and yet feel disconnected to human relationships and really disconnected with their own brains and their thoughts. And so being alone, setting aside time to be alone, it could just be 10 minutes a day that you unplug from your all of your digital devices and you just devote 10 minutes to being with your thoughts and whether you meditate you write in a journal or you just sit and think it's so important to carve out that time and you have to be proactive and purposeful about it because if you don't you're probably not going to get it the fact that mentally strong people are more comfortable being alone with their own thoughts is very interesting to me i don't know why you wouldn't want to be alone with your own thoughts i've come up with some of my best ideas by myself just giving my, my, my mind time to reflect and think. In fact, the reason why you're even watching this or the reason why you're listening to this right now is because I had time to think. The idea for the Cut the Crap show came about because I was just by myself, walking the streets in New York, just enjoying the sights, the sounds, and inspiration struck. And my mind was able to go deeper and deeper into that. And I came up with this idea. And I acted on it, and here I am three years later continuing to do it. So don't be scared to be alone with your own thoughts. Allow yourself, allow yourself some time to think and process new ideas, new, uh, new books, new videos, music, whatever inspires you. Just take some time to allow your mind to just wander into certain things and see where it goes, see where it takes you. I don't know why that would scare you. I actually have no idea why. <laughs> All right, here we go. Let's get into golden nugget number 12. And golden nugget number 12 says that mentally strong people they don't think the world owes them anything. This one is about really knowing, yeah, I guess when it come, boils down to it, are there certain things that you think that you're deserving of and the universe hasn't given them to you? So it might be somebody who says, gosh, I work really hard. I deserve to have a lot more money than I do. Or somebody who says, uh, you know, I, I was meant to be a successful person, but other people just aren't recognizing my success. This isn't fair. 
And I think, you know, there's different ways that this creeps into people's lives, but for some people it just becomes so prevalent. And in fact, when I talk about this issue of hard work and whether hard work means that you deserve a lot of money, a lot of people get really angry and say, well, if I devote long hours into my job, I deserve a lot of money. Or if I'm a hard worker, then I deserve to be successful. But I guarantee you there is a a mom in some third world country who walks about five miles every day just to get her family water at the river. And if we were going to divide up who deserves the most based on how much effort they put into the world, I don't think any of us living um, in in the world of, of the Internet and building our own businesses and that sort of a thing would necessarily be wealthy. But it becomes so easy sometimes to think, you know, you look at all of these people online who tell you how to get quick, fast, and all the things you should be doing if you want to uh, become a, a millionaire. And, and it just becomes easy to think, well, I deserve that. And, you know, how come I'm not getting everything I deserve? And people start keeping score. Or people think, well, I'm a really nice person, so I deserve other people to, to give me nice things, too. And when you start keeping score, it just becomes life is about a competition. It's about thinking if I put in this much effort, then I deserve everything to come back to me in the exact same amount. And you're going to end up disappointed in in the end. And um, for people that feel like they're more deserving than what they're getting, they sort of become bitter and angry and Mm -hmm. arrogant. And we don't really like those people that much. That's exactly right. Just to recognize in what areas of your life, maybe just one or two small areas, you think, gosh, I had a rough childhood, so I deserve a really happy adulthood, (laughs) whatever it is. But if we're all honest, we probably all had at least little areas of our lives or times when we kind of thought about, I deserve that more than that person does, and it's just not healthy. I think one of my biggest pet peeves, maybe not my biggest, but it's a big pet peeve I have, is when people think that they deserve something they don't have. They look at their friends or their family or their colleagues or co-workers, whatever, and they're getting something that they don't have. And they're like, well, I put in the time. I should have that. Or I'm older. I should have that. Or, you know, I've been here longer. I should have that. Get out of here. Who are you? You don't deserve that. Everything you have, you deserve. So if you don't have it, work harder. Be more strategic. Make better relationships. Become a better communicator. There's a reason why you don't have it. And the negative Nancy out there would say, well, reason I don't have it is because I don't kiss ass. Well, you know what? If that's your mentality, you're never going to win. I can't stand being around people like that. Work your butt off to get what you deserve. And if you don't get it, don't think about it like a competition to say, well, I should have gotten that. You say, well, congratulations. Good for you. I'm happy for you. My win's still yet to come. That's the difference. Keep your mind in check. All right. Now let's move on to the final golden nugget. Golden nugget number 13. Mentally strong people, they don't expect immediate results. I love this one. Great one to end off on. This is a tough one because we live in the world where it's no lines, no waiting. You can order something online and have it delivered to your doorstep right away. And so then we expect everything to happen really fast. And so I'll have people that come into my therapy office and they'll say, well, therapy's not working. Can't you give me a pill or something? And I'll say, well, what makes you think it's not working? And they'll say, well, I've been here for three weeks and my depression isn't better. And I'll have to explain to them, well, you had depression for 30 years. Three weeks isn't going to erase it. It takes time. Or for people when they have a weight loss goal and they think, well, I've been on a diet for two weeks and I haven't seen these dramatic results yet. I might as well throw in the towel. (laughs) But 
And I, I think, again, it's just so hard in today's world because so many things happen so fast, but real change and self-improvement is much slower. And it takes patience and persistence to, to just recognize that and to stay the course and to know that just because things aren't happening as fast as you want doesn't mean that things aren't still happening or that maybe pr- progress, it always doesn't come in this super straight line. It's not every day you're not going to become better. Sometimes you take two steps forward and one step back, but that can be all part of the process. And when you don't expect immediate results, you can learn to tolerate that and you can keep going uh, even when your journey isn't necessarily the exact path that you that you thought it was going to be. And I think when people can, can learn how to be patient and know that being patient isn't the same as being idle and that being patient and, and working towards something takes time, I think people can accomplish some pretty incredible things. You just have to stay the course. I think it's really unfortunate, but it's a huge opportunity for so many of you out there who don't give in to this instant gratification world that we live in. Because mentally strong people, they don't expect immediate results. Because they know what they're developing. They know what they're doing takes time. Whether you're building a body, building a body, that's what I mean. (laughs) Whether you're building a body, whether you're building a business, growing a business, building a relationship, building a profile online, building a brand, doesn't matter what you're doing. Mentally strong people know that these things take time and they don't expect immediate results. So what are you doing? Whatever you're building, don't expect immediate results. Because if you do, you're cutting yourself so short. Patience. I can't preach that enough. Patience is so important. If you're not patient, you could be missing out on something truly great that's in development. What if I stopped this show two years ago? I wouldn't have the kind of listeners that I do today. I wouldn't be talking to you right now. So don't give up so easily. Don't expect immediate results. Put the time in. Be patient. All right, my friends. That is a wrap for today. That is 13 things mentally strong people don't do. Take back your power, embrace change, face your fears, and train your brain for happiness and success. Thank you so much to Amy Morin for coming on this show. I have to get Amy back on the show. She's got two of their books. I think they are awesome, and uh, we definitely got to get her back on. That's for sure. But thank you to every single one of you who tuned in today. I hope you enjoy this new format. I hope that you like what I'm going to be putting out moving forward. This whole idea of building mental resiliency, mental toughness is so important to me. And I hope it's just as important to you. If you like this show, if you like this episode, then please go online, rate and review the show, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, if you're listening on your iPhone, please do me a favor. Open up this podcast app, uh, open up the podcast app, open up this show in particular, just scroll up a little bit and you'll see a space where you can enter in five stars. Just please do me a favor. All you got to do is click the five star button and it'll give me five stars. and It'll mean a whole heck of a lot to me. It'll help the show continue to grow and get the word out there. And uh, it just means a lot to me. So if you take some time out of your day and do that, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much in advance. And then also, if you love the show, then please send an email out to people. Let people know. Share it through social media. Also, connect with me on social media. Can't forget that as well. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. There's a Facebook page for me, for Ryan Caligiuri. Follow that page. That's where all my updates are going. Instagram, LinkedIn, all that stuff. I'm everywhere. Follow me. Tell me you found me through the show. Let me know how much you love the show. Let me know how much you love this new format. If you're excited about it, I just want to hear from you. All right, my friends, that is a wrap for today. So I will catch you back here next week when I have a brand new book, brand new Golden Nuggets, an interview from an author. Of course, you know what I'm doing here every single week. Just trying to save you a little bit of time, bring you some information that can spark change, and help you build mental resiliency and mental toughness. 
Hope you all have a fantastic, productive, inspired week, everybody. I love you all. Do I ever feel like Sisyphus? Yeah. Of course I do. I've been waiting for people to start saying like, oh, you put another picture of the sweat and of a squat rack. Really? But I don't know if they understand. (laughs) I've been getting on that squat rack and grinding it out for 25 years. And I'm not bored with it yet. It might seem like that's an unwinnable battle, but really to me, it's not about winning. It's the battle itself. It's the struggle. It's the daily test. That's what life's about. Not just physically, but mentally. Getting that rock to the top of the mountain. That's not what my goal is. My goal actually is pushing the rock. Because pushing the rock, that pushes me. That makes me tougher. That makes me harder, mentally and physically. It gives me much more than I give it. I want to struggle. I want to grind and claw and scratch and I want to dig in and I want to push. And I don't want it to end. If I ever got the rock to the top of the mountain and it stayed there, I'd push it back down myself. I don't want to rest and I don't want to coast. And I want to reach a point in my life where I say, that's it. I've done enough. I'm not going to give anymore. I'm not going to push anymore. No. No. That relentless cycle of day-to-day challenges, they aren't maddening to me. They don't frustrate me. They inspire me inspire me to drive and push more and to push harder that's what that rock does to me so i say dig in and get to pushing